this MLB Divisional Series Game 3 Betting Picks edition of the MLB Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog has a Underdog has just added Pick'em Scorchers where you can win up to 100 times your money. That's right. Turn $5 into $500 in one game. Plus, every Sunday, they're giving away $100,000. Use promo code SGPN at Underdog Fantasy for a 100% deposit bonus of up to $500. Finally, we're brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use promo code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. Welcome, everyone, to the MLB Gambling Podcast, part of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, October the 10th, currently 11.03 on the East Coast, here to get into the two Game 3s happening for the Divisional Series on this Tuesday schedule. We have the Houston Astros and the Minnesota Twins, and in the nightcap, we have the Texas Rangers looking to close out the Baltimore Orioles will also recap what we saw last night in the two game twos between the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers and the Braves and the Phillies. But joining me here to help me break it all down, you guys know him as the voice of the Tennis Gambling Podcast, the WNBA Gambling Podcast, NBA Gambling Podcast, NFL. And of course, you're on the MLB Gambling Podcast is Scott Studio Rochelle. Scott, how's it going, my man? Yeah, doing pretty well. Uh, enjoyed the games yesterday, both for baseball and well, football game wasn't that great, but at least it came down to the wires. So there was that. But now you got hockey starting up tonight, which should be a lot yeah. of fun. But of course, this is a baseball show, so looking forward to the games that we're going to see. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of action t- today, uh, just in the sports world and the betting world. We got uh, MLB playoffs, like you mentioned, hockey uh, uh, opening night tonight. College football Tuesdays as well. That's going to be kicking off here tonight as well. And then NBA preseason if you're NBA junkies like myself and Scott are. But, yeah, like you mentioned, MLB show. Uh, let's recap what we saw last night here, um, Scott. So the first game, it was the Phillies and the uh, Braves. And it looked like that the Braves – or, sorry, the Phillies were going to take a commanding 2-0 lead before heading back to Philadelphia. Um Zach Wheeler just came in just absolutely through uh, fire in that first inning in particular. I mean, he started the game with three straight strikeouts, struck out the side. Excuse me. In that first inning, he ended up going uh, six and a third. He had 10 strikeouts in that game, three hits and two earned runs. Um, and it looked like the Phillies were in cruise control uh, there, Scott. But the uh, Braves started chipping away a little bit. Um, they got a run in the sixth inning. Uh, Travis Darno hit a two-run shot in the seventh inning. And then Austin Riley um, hit another two-run home run in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, but that maybe probably wasn't the most exciting part of the game. It was probably the game-ending double uh, play by an incredible catch by Michael Harris. But um, definitely the most exciting game thus far this postseason here, Scott. Yeah, it was a great game. Uh, it was nice to see the Braves rally to get the job done because for a second, it looked like we were going to get three separate 2-0 series leads, yeah. <laughs> and then that turned out to not be the case. Actually, for the road team, it was going to be 2 nothing leads, uh, with the exception being the Twins, who won a game against Houston. But still, it was a great comeback. Uh, overall, it's a game that Philly, I don't want to say needed to win because I thought the series would be a war anyway, but mm-hmm. I'll put it this way. Philly going into the series would gladly take 1-1 heading back to Philly. Having said that, 
you have to win that game. Yeah. You're up four nothing. The other team doesn't have a hit for about six innings. The other team hasn't scored a run for about 15 straight innings. And it looks like you're on cruise control. And the next thing you know, you end up giving up five runs in the final three innings, not including the ninth inning, because mm-hmm. the Braves didn't bat in the ninth. The Braves scored five runs on four hits, and you scored yeah. four runs on nine hits. You, you kind of have to win that game. Uh, mm-hmm. But now the Braves, who were, I don't want to say dead in the water, but it's once again the, one of the best offensive teams of all time, the regular season-wise, mm-hmm. did nothing for fifth, about 14 straight innings and then woke up. And yeah. it feels like Atlanta, I don't want to say turn the tide on the series, but they drastically increased their chances of winning this series. Riley with the big home run on that 3-2 pitch with two outs in the eighth. But the main thing that I, the main takeaway that I had, it felt like Philly had a chance to grab a full stranglehold on the series and the pitching staff let him down. Yeah, uh, I think that's kind of well, not, not the maybe the theme back during the regular season for some of these teams that are actually in the playoffs. You know, talk about teams like the Rangers and, and the Twins are in that conversation. Diamondbacks as well, and um, you know, Philly's bullpen wasn't too bad, but um, I mean, you're up for nothing in a playoff game where you try to shorten the game up and and you know, there being no the, hit. Yeah, <laughs> like you're up exactly. for nothing and yeah. they have no hits. Yeah, like it, yeah. it looked like it was going to be a wrap at that point. Yeah, it seems like now that the Braves uh, bats have woken up now. And now I know Aaron Nola takes game three. So that's going to be uh, one of the biggest starts of his career um, going up against the Braves in game three back in Philadelphia. So um, Braves even up the series heading back to Philly for game three, five to four last night. Um, and this is it feels like this is going to be the series. I think we talked about it when we previewed the series that it, it will go probably to five games, hopefully so. Uh, definitely going to be uh, watching uh, the rest of this series for sure, as it how is definitely interesting. I, I want to ask you uh, one yeah. question. Uh, do you think they kept Wheeler in too long? Um, I would have personally pulled them pulled after them the Olsen six. single. Yeah. I would I would have pulled them after the Olsen single, but it wasn't really even his fault. They gave up a run because Trey Turner just butchered that relay throw from the outfield. That resulted yeah. in a free run, but mm-hmm. Wheeler was so dialed in the entire way through, and it did start to feel like either his command wasn't as sharp because he walked Acuna and you saw Albies get the hit and everything like that, but it just seemed like the Braves batters were kind of settling in against Wheeler a little bit, and then yeah. they brought him back out for the sixth, or mm-hmm. for the uh, seventh, I mean. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe just the way Olsen made contact with it. I know he struck out Ozuna on the next at-bat, but still, I would have pulled Wheeler, and I was not exactly shocked that somebody hit a bomb off of him in the seventh. But I just wanted to bring it up because it felt like that was the real turning point. You can argue the error, but I thought that Darno home run was pretty much the real turning point in the entire uh, game itself. Yeah, I, I personally would have pulled him um, like at the end of the sixth inning, like let my bullpen come in fresh for the seventh inning. And yeah, I know you talked about the error there that that uh, changed the complexion of the game there. But yeah, if I was the manager for the Phillies, I would have probably pulled them after six. Like, hey, you had a great start. You know, let's let our bullpen uh, come in with a fresh inning with nobody on base. And, you know, let's see if they can pull it out here. But, um, you know, those are the little sometimes I don't know. I don't want to call them mistakes, but decisions that, you know, managers have to make. That's the, the margin between winning or losing a, a playoff game. And eventually, you know, it could result in possibly them losing the series. I mean, those are the type of decisions that did come into play um, for uh, for managers, especially in the postseason. It is a lose-lose situation, though, because we saw in the yeah. wild card round some p- 
managers like the Barrio situation, they'll pull their starters prematurely. Yeah. And then in other cases, you leave the starter in a bit too long, and then a wheeler gives up a bomb. There's there's no right answer. You're only going to judge it in hindsight, depending on if the decision actually worked or not at the time. It just felt like the Braves were starting to figure Wheeler out a little bit, yeah. and I probably yeah. would have switched. Then again, Hoffman was terrible anyway, and he was going to pitch no matter what. So it might not have mattered, but I would have pulled Wheeler earlier. That's yeah, how I look I, at it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, second game of the night, the uh, L.A. Dodgers drop game two uh, to the – uh, sorry, the Arizona Diamondbacks, a 4-2 final in that game. And this, again, another game where the Dodgers starting pitching give up the runs early in that first inning. Now the Diamondbacks in the first two games of the series, Scott, have scored a combined nine runs in that first inning, and they haven't looked back. And I think that, number one, you got to give a lot of credit to the starting pitching for this um, Arizona Diamondbacks team between Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen. And we'll talk about the bullpen here in a second as well. But the offense got them the lead in those first two games of the series, and they haven't looked back. Um, and you're obviously your two best pitchers. And we talked about when we previewed the series that both of these pitchers, especially Merrill Kelly, had struggled against the Dodgers in his career, especially in Dodger Stadium, was about 0-11. But uh, game one, he got the job done. Zach Gallen was absolutely phenomenal through about six innings. And I think that people thought, or at least I thought that, hey, the Dodgers, at least last night, right? Three runs. Okay. I mean, you have one of the better offenses in the National League. Maybe they can make a comeback, but they had that opportunity in the bottom of the six. So I think it was bases loaded, one out, and they pulled Zach Gallon at that point. And that you would thought that somebody needed to make a clutch hit at that point, but it just didn't come into fruition for the Dodgers. That Alvin strikeout was brutal. That yeah. Alvin strikeout really changed the entire game. That was such, that was so bad. I think it yeah. was a 3 1 count as well. And he, was, ended up strike, yeah. he ended up swinging and a miss on the next two pitches. But, yeah, that Outman strikeout was really just brutal for the Dodgers. Yeah, and then I saw Colton Wong walk up to the players like, okay, this guy's either either grounded out or he's going to strike out. And lo and behold, he hits a dribbler to the first base side and the Diamondbacks were able to get out of the inning. But I I guess uh, I mean, I, I didn't really take away too much from the, from the game, but I don't think, at least you and I, I don't think we are shocked right now by this result by the Dodgers. For me, I kind of am because I thought the Dodgers would win the series comfortably. It wasn't yeah. a matter of trusting the Dodgers, really just a matter of the Dimebacks. I don't want to say being fortunate to get past Milwaukee, but it felt like Milwaukee had a bunch of chances that they squandered. And I just thought mm -hmm. that the Dodgers lineup would be able to take advantage of those opportunities that the Braves, that the uh, Brewers could not. That's where it went wrong. Now, I also had some doubts about Arizona actually being a solid baseball team because they finished 84 and 78 and they mm -hmm. squeaked in after getting swept by the Astros in the final series of the season. So mm -hmm. I had some doubts, and plus the Dodgers have kind of owned Arizona historically. Having said that, at the same point, I'm not shocked in hindsight that a Dave Roberts team is imploding in the playoffs again. Yeah. So I feel like you can look at it either way. Me personally, I guess you can say I am shocked because I thought the Dodgers would potentially win in four or five, uh, win in three or four. Mm -hmm. So this was not the what I anticipated happening. But as I saw Kershaw imploding in the first inning of game one, I call it, I kind of thought to myself, yeah, this feels about right. Yeah. You know, it was one of those <laughs> moments because we've seen this with the Dodgers for I don't even know how long since yeah. Mattingly was the manager with that team. Mm -hmm. And Dave Roberts is only the manager of the team because they won the World Series in a neutral site environment with 60 regular season games. 
Yeah. That's why he has a job. And that's why a lot of people view the Dodgers title with an asterisk next to it. Now, usually I'm against the asterisk because you still have to win a title. Everyone's got the same environment around them. That's why the NBA one, I do give the Lakers credit for winning. The mm-hmm. baseball one, it's a different sport when you eliminate 100 <clears throat> games from the schedule. But that's a yeah. completely separate animal. So I do think that, once again, there actually is a worthy asterisk next to the Dodgers one. Because I don't believe they would have won the World Series if it was 160-something games. Plus, Corey Seager actually could stay healthy for the entire season that year yeah. because you limited you eliminated 100 games. But it just goes back to Dave Roberts doing Dave Roberts things. And I'm not shocked his team has once again crumbled when the pressure showed up. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it starts at the top of the, top of the lineup there as well. I mean, as great as a player Mookie Betts is for this Dodgers team or has been throughout his career – as a leadoff guy, you can't be 0 of 7 through the first two games uh, of, of a series, especially Freeman when you put up. Freeman doesn't been good either. Yeah, the top two guys. And I think that you could probably go down the list. I mean, top – I'm not really impressed by this Dodgers lineup after probably the top three guys. I mean, you could throw Muncy in there. I know he's a power guy, but he's – I like J.D. Martinez. Uh, I, yeah. I still think Muncy's not any good. I think Muncy's just the reincarnation of Joey Gallo. But yeah, I agree. He's a better version of Gallo, but you get my point. He's a strikeout or bust player. Having said that, Muncy does have a higher batting average than Betts. He's batting 143, so there's that. But the Dodgers, it's, I've mentioned this before, but uh, not really regarding the Dodgers, but about other teams in the playoffs, mostly involving like Toronto and some of the teams that got eliminated already. They just construct horrible at-bats. Mm, there's no yeah. plan from any of these Dodgers hitters, and it, you could sense it. Like, I just feel like the Dodgers are still in, I don't want to say a go-for-broke mode offensively, but it feels like a lot of the batters haven't really read the situation of when guys are on base and they're still just swinging for the fences. Just try to make contact with the yeah. thing. Like I, It just feels like the Dodgers are trying to get it all back in one swing instead of just moving the line and trying to get other guys on and trying to pass the baton. And I feel like that's where... Maybe I'm going to sound like an old man yelling at the clouds at 26 years old, but I feel like there's a problem with the general philosophy when it comes to playoff baseball, and it's why you've seen a lot of really ugly strikeouts with guys on base. It's because people are so focused on launch angles and trying to generate a home run to change the game. A single generates momentum. Like you can, It's okay to try to get on base and move the chains that way, move the baton, but it just feels that the Dodgers are constantly trying to swing for the fences every at-bat and as a result, they have barely anybody batting above 300. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. Again, it's it's been definitely a lackluster performance by the Dodgers. And now Dodgers have the monumental task of now having to go on the road. Where I think their offense can break out going into a hitter-friendly ballpark in Arizona and Chase Field. But for Arizona, now they've used their best two pitchers and they've gotten the job done. Now you have to rely on the back end of the rotation to get you one more game uh, at home and advance to the to, to advance to the championship series, whether that's going to be against the Braves or the Phillies, so um, it feels like. I mean, I think if the Dodgers lose the series, you have to believe that Dave Roberts is gone uh, for this team. That's back to back years where they've lost in in the divisional round uh, to a an old West opponent for all uh, for for that matter uh, for this Dodgers team. Uh, Scott, before we do get into the game three picks for the Tuesday schedule, uh, let me tell everyone about Hall of Fame bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this NFL season with Hall of Fame bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, MLB, and soccer bet with the circle stats and data. Enter any parlay idea 
into Hall of Fame Bet's revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use promo code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. All right, Scott, Tuesday, two games on the MLB playoff schedule. The first game is going to be a 4.07 Eastern start. It's going to be the American League Divisional Series uh, between the Houston Astros and the Minnesota Twins. This series is tied up one-to-one. The Astros took care of business in game one behind Justin Verlander. And then Minnesota came roaring back in game two and got to Framber Valdez early. And they were able to hold on to the lead and, and even up the series before heading back to Minnesota. So Minnesota did their job, stealing one in Houston. Now the series shifts back to Minnesota. Like I mentioned, 407 Eastern start. Sonny Gray is going to take the mound here for the Minnesota Twins and Christian Javier for the Houston Astros. The Minnesota Twins are a minus 135 home favorite here, plus 114 on the money line for the Astros. Total is set at eight run line, minus one and a half, plus 150 for the Twins and plus one and a half, minus 180 for the Houston Astros. Scott, what are you thinking about game three here between the Astros and the Twins? I think I got to take Houston plus money in this spot. I understand that Sonny Gray is the better pitcher and have kind of roasted Javier for most of the year. Javier was decent down the stretch, though. Made a big start at the end of the regular season. But the Astros, I don't want to say they don't believe in home field advantage, but their home field advantage is more the case in other stadiums because they were 51 and 30 on the road in the regular season. So they were a lot better. They actually had a losing record at home. So. I am impressed with the way the Twins responded after losing game one, but I do think that Houston is definitely worth a look here at plus money. Gray's been fine so far. I thought he was okay against the Blue Jays. A couple guys got on base a decent amount of the time, but then we saw Vlad Jr. get picked off second base to kill a rally there. Five innings, gave up five hits and two walks, so seven base runners there. So once again, didn't exactly pitch that great, but he was good enough. I do think Houston's going to respond in this spot, but it's mostly based on the price for me. Even if I liked Minnesota to win the game, maybe it's just, uh, I don't want to say PTSD, but I'm so used to Houston finding ways to win playoff games. I can't lay 135 here. I I just can't do it. I think this line's too high. I think Minnesota should be around minus 115, minus 120, but at minus 135, I'm going to take the Astros. Yeah, I think I agree with you here about getting Astros at plus money. I mean, yeah, you mentioned, I mean, Sonny Gray down the stretch was really good uh, for this Twins rotation. I mean, he didn't allow more than one earned run over his last five starts, including the last start, which was against the Toronto Blue Jays in the wild card round. But I think it comes to a point, like you mentioned, that the Astros do find ways to win games. And I think that this is an opportunity for Christian Javier, uh, who has been really up and down uh, throughout the course of the season. Um, but like you mentioned, I guess the Diamondbacks where it mattered the most, he had an absolute outstanding um, start for them. Six shutout innings. He did allow three hits and five walks, but um, I think there's an opportunity for him to go on the road here uh, and and pitch well against this Twins team. And he doesn't have really any historical stats against the Twins. Uh, last time he faced one was back in 2021, and that was out of the bullpen. But Sonny Gray did have pre- two pretty good starts this season against the Astros. Um, trying to pull up those numbers here. Uh, he was... Uh, Let's see here. Had a 2.77 ERA, 16 strikeouts in those two appearances. 
Uh, pitched 13 innings total, four earned runs, four walks, and like I mentioned, 16 strikeouts. And um, the Twins won three to two in a start back in April. In his last start, they also won, which was in May, seven to five in Houston. Excuse me. So, um, but I, I think the Astros respond here. I usually like backing the Astros coming off of a loss, especially in the playoffs here. And like you mentioned, they do respond. So I do like the Astros here at plus money at plus 114. Uh, anything on the total here, Scott, at eight? I'm going to lean to the under in this one. It's tricky because I got to rely on Javier. It's really just the quick leash involved. I do think that Houston's pitching staff has been okay so far. It was mostly Neris who just blowed in game one. He was awful mm-hmm. in game one. But I do trust the rest of the bullpen. Minnesota's bullpen, despite not being great in the regular season, has actually been pretty good so far in the postseason. But I am an only to the under. I think and naturally we see more low-scoring games in baseball, in baseball during the playoffs. But eight, I think it's a little bit high. I, I see this game probably finishing around like 4-2, something like that. Maybe it's because of the actual gravity of the game, since mm-hmm. whoever wins this is going to have a massive advantage in the rest of the series. But I see a pretty uh, just competitive, low-scoring game throughout. I think Houston wins 4-2, so I'll go with the under. Uh, if you're into umpire stats, but uh, Bill Miller is behind the plate. He was 17-12 and 12 towards the under. Uh, sorry, 17-12-3 and three towards the under during the regular season. Home teams were 18-14 and 14 straight up but only for uh, a profit of 0.3 units. So, yeah, I was leaning towards the under here as well. I want to take Javier's strikeouts in this game. It's only at four and a half, but like you mentioned, that if he does get off to a rough start in this game, I, I think that 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 leash is going to be get pulled real quick by Dusty Baker, especially getting that day off in between the Sunday and the Tuesday game here. Um, but I'm kind of tempted by Javier at over four and a half strikeouts uh, in this game. And Minnesota Twins, especially against left, uh, sorry, right-handed pitching, uh, were a team that struck out at a very high rate. I'm trying to pull up the exact numbers here, going back to the regular season. Um, let's see here. Uh, 2023 season. Did they leave the I want to say they were. I, I know they were at least like top three, four. I know sure. Seattle was hanging around them for strikeouts as well, but it wouldn't shock me Minnesota led the league. Yeah, Minnesota was number one, 27% of the team strikeout percentage against right-handed pitching. Uh, during the regular season, and then if I trim this down to over the course of the last two weeks, um, that probably includes playoffs as well. But they still struck out 22.3% of the time against right-handed pitching. So I'm tempted by uh, Javier four-and-a-half strikeouts as far as player props uh, in this game. Uh, anything as far as props you like in this game here, Scott? Well, I want to ask you, what is the Sonny Gray strikeout prop at? Uh, let's see here. I think I saw it at five and uh, sorry, three and a half minus one sixty. Three and a half, really? Yeah, you may you I, could probably I, buy that up. I was going to say, I don't think I don't think Gray's gonna have a great strikeout game, but three and a half is too low. I mean that that's an insane number. Uh, I know it's juicy, but you're assuming Gray, unless he gets totally shelled, should give you a minimum of five innings. Mm-hmm. I'd say yeah. unless he gets completely shelled, but. I mean, that line is a little bit absurd to me. So I would probably lean over there on the gray strikeouts, but the gray outs, I might be tempted by an under, uh, which kind of sounds a bit uh, – it sounds a bit of like a paradox there, but I do think it makes some sense uh, to me because I do think that Houston's going to get him a little bit, but mm-hmm. three and a half for a guy that should be pitching at least four or five innings, I just think it's an insane number for me. So I am going to lean to the um, 
on strikeouts. owing to the yeah owing to the over on strikeouts there. I do want to ask you a question about Houston though. How much mm-hmm. longer do you throw Maldonado out there? So I did see a note that Dusty Baker is going to have uh, Yonder Diaz DHing. Uh, and I think he said in this game, and Michael Brantley is going to be sitting in this game. But I, again, it's just because it's just he has that postseason experience. I mean, he's got him to multiple titles or World Series titles. Um, I know the bat he's batting well below 200, but I think there's enough in this lineup for him for for the Astros to compensate for that bat. I guess if you take a look around the other uh, some of the other teams, like I think the Dodgers we just talked about are a great example of that. That you have your top two guys who are not batting well for the Dodgers, right? Mookie Betts still hasn't recorded a hit through the first two games. Freddie Freeman batting 167, Max Muncie at 143. So when you talk about maybe the four top four or five guys for the Astros, Altuve again having a great postseason. Bregman's going to get his. We know what Gordon Alvarez is doing. So I think there's enough for the Astros to compensate. And they just really have Maldonado as a defensive or a, a catcher with the postseason experience. So is he even good at defense anymore? I, I think for calling games, he's good, but maybe defensively, maybe trying to throw out batters. I don't think that's the case. But I think as far as calling a game for a pitcher, I would rather have him in there than, than Diaz. But Diaz is going to be uh, DHing today. I think Diaz is too good to sit on the bench. That's kind of my main point. At some point, you got to yeah. at least acknowledge that you have an automatic out in your nine spot. You probably have to adjust that. So, yeah, we'll see what yeah. happens moving forward. But uh, once again, I do want to ask you about one other prop because I'm not sure how long sure. Javier is going to go. But I find it pretty weird Javier's earned a run number for the prop is two and a half and the over is minus 115. But Javier over three and a half hits allowed is minus 110. How does that make sense? <sighs> um, he's gonna give up. He's gonna give up more than two and a half earned runs without giving up more than three hits. How does that happen? Yeah, unless they're like just solo home runs. But even then, that's a very fine line because you have to give Can, up. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Conceptually, uh, that makes no sense. That's why I just yeah. wanted to bring that up because you're looking at either a bunch of walks or the argument for the hits would be he's not going to pitch many innings. But if he's not going to mm-hmm. pitch many innings, then why is the over under number for earned runs a two and a half? So I. Don't get that at all. I was hoping maybe you could explain that to me, but the over two and a half runs for Javier and the over three and a half hits allowed, those numbers correlate. don't correlate at all. So that's yeah. why I wanted to ask you about that. So would you rather bet on the hits allowed than at the over three and a half then, right? I'd rather bet on the hits allowed if I do think Javier is going to go a decent amount in the start. But yeah. of course it is possible to you know, lose both where if he gives up some traffic and he gets out of it, then he might go over with the hits allowed, but go under the runs. But there is a world where Javier goes four innings, like two hits, no earned runs, and you win both. I just think it's interesting. His uh, outs recorded right now is set at 12 and a half for this game. So it kind of tells you they're probably expecting him to only go about four innings here. Unless he is pitching real well. I think think the under earned runs has to be worth a look then because he's not going to pitch that long. So if you want to give me two and a half earned runs and he has to basically get blown up in order to lose that prop, mm-hmm. I'm very tempted by that because that line seems very off based on the workload he's projected. Yep, I agree. Uh, all right, before we get over to the second game of the schedule on Tuesday for the MLB playoffs, let me tell everyone about Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite football team all season long. Underdog has just introduced Scorchers. Go five for five and pick them Scorchers. Enjoy a spicy 
100 times payout. And for a limited time, Underdog is extending the first deposit bonus of up to $500. $100,000 Sundays continue on Underdog Fantasy. 10 lucky players will win 10000 each. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little cash over on Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And when you sign up with promo code SGPN, Underdog will double your first deposit of up to $500. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy using promo code SGPN. All right, Scott, second game of the uh, two-game schedule on Tuesday is the Texas Rangers looking to close out the number one seed, the Baltimore Orioles. This game is going to be a 803 Eastern start. Like I mentioned, the, the Texas Rangers have a commanding 2-0 lead. They take care of business in Baltimore, um, getting both of those games there. Now we have game three in Arlington, where I am currently seeing that Dean Kramer is going to get the start here for the Baltimore Orioles in game three. And Nathan Avaldi gets the start here for the Texas Rangers. Same lines for this game. The home team minus 135, plus 114 on the money line for the Baltimore Orioles. Total is set at nine in this game. Um, total, uh, sorry, run line minus one and a half, plus one thirty six for the Rangers, and plus one and a half, minus one sixty two for the uh, Baltimore Orioles. And like I mentioned, Texas is bats, and they've been one of the better offenses also in the uh, entire MLB this season, or during the regular season, I should say. I know they cooled off a little bit there, where they weren't playing good baseball. I think it was around late August, maybe early September, but they found their way towards the end of the season, but. Uh, they got a three to two victory in game one and then an 11 8 victory in game two. Now we have Dean Kramer against Nathan Evaldi. Uh, does Texas close it out here, uh, Scott? Uh, well, they listen to Creed pregame, so probably. Uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty tough to beat that, but I went into the series picking Texas. I thought it'd be a longer series, but the argument was that Baltimore wasn't ready and they don't look ready, simply put. And I feel like a big reason for that is the inexperienced rotation when it comes to playoff baseball. Bradish was fine for the most part, but uh, it, it did not look good in game two. I'll tell you that much. Grayson didn't really have anything in the tank, and the game was over within the first three innings, basically. But, yeah, yeah it just feels to me like Texas with Bochi, he knows how to push the right buttons, and I think Texas is going to win this. We've seen how good they are at home all year long. Baltimore also hasn't had to play a road game in a while because we saw them uh, have the first two games at home. They had the layoff in the wild card series because they didn't play. I do wonder if there's going to be a bit of, I don't want to say accepting the inevitable fate, but I do wonder being a young team that has never really been in the playoff atmosphere before for a lot of these main core members. Do you think mentally there's a chance if they go down early, they just check out? I think so, uh, especially being uh, the game being in Arlington where there this is the first time, at least in that new stadium with fans in it. Um, it I think it's going to be a ruckus environment for the Texas Rangers. And I think that if the Rangers bats, I think like they have been within the first, what, four games that they've played in this playoffs, uh, that they've been able to score a couple runs early um, and really haven't looked back after that point. So I think that if if Dean uh, uh, sorry yeah if Dean Kramer gives up let's say two three runs within those first couple innings, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for this Baltimore Orioles team just because of how prone this offense has been and consistent they've been at least uh, in the postseason thus far. So yeah, in simple terms, yeah, I, I think they'll probably check out. Uh, especially with Uvalde being good in his playoff career, we saw him look yep. dominant against Tampa, which was a very nice sign for them because Uvalde. 
was pitching basically two innings of start or three innings of start in September, and he wasn't very good. And then he no. figured it out against Tampa. So you can make an argument based on the current rotation that Texas has. They have their best postseason starter facing off against the guy making his first ever postseason appearance. And we've seen Baltimore with the young core look a little bit shell-shocked up to this point. I think that it's going to be Texas's game, and I am going to pick them to sweep here. 140 just feels a bit cheap to me. I feel like it should be higher based on the fact we actually know what Yavaldi is most likely going to bring compared to Kramer. I don't know what to expect from Kramer in Texas. He could get blown up. He could pitch decently. I'm not totally sure, but 140 feels a bit cheap. I'm going to take Texas. Yeah, I, I just feel like I know record-wise, Dean Kramer had a great season, 13-5. The ERA was at 4.12. He did have only one start against the Rangers during the regular season, um, he gave up uh, three earned runs in six and a third inning. Which this was all the way back in May, though, so not sure how much we can really take away from it. Did uh, issue two walks in that game as well, but I think the difference right in this game, like you mentioned, is Nathan Avaldi, just because I've seen it when he was with the Red Sox that he was an outstanding postseason pitcher despite what happened during the regular season with him, uh, not only this season, but over the course of his career, and to, for him to, like you mentioned, put out the performance that he did like he uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, I think that kind of speaks volumes of what type of pitcher Nathan Evaldi is when, when it matters the most. So um, I think this the, hot, the, the, the offense is hot right now for the Texas Rangers. I think they take care of business here. I think they get the sweep here. Um, I'm on the money line here as well for the Rangers. Um, maybe look at their team total to go over in this game as well, over four and a half. I'm more comfortable taking it on the road just because you do get all, all nine at bats. Because if this game ends like four to two and you lose by the hook, um, you know, then you're gonna be then you're gonna be mad at yourself. But as far as the side, I am on the um on the Rangers here with you as well. Anything on the total that you do like, it's at nine right now. I'm minimally to the under in this one. I think Kramer's gonna be okay. I kind of have faith in Uvalde. Maybe it's just because it's a playoff game, but I feel like the dangerous thing you can do is immediately try to correlate what happened in the previous game to what's expected to happen in game three. Mm-hmm. There's a day off in between. They're at a different stadium. You have different pitchers involved. Nine's too high for, for a playoff game, in my opinion, especially if I am picking Yavaldi to deal. If I think Yavaldi's yeah. going to give up like two earned runs in six innings, I can't take an over nine because I'm thinking that one of the offenses isn't going to do much. So I'm just relying on Texas to do basically everything. But I think that a big reason why we're at nine is because game two fully exploded offensively. A couple of garbage time runs there in the end with that Hicks home run for Baltimore. But I think you're looking at game two and going, well, we got to make this line very high at nine. I disagree with that because I think Givaldi's going to pitch well. So I'm going to go with the under. I think this line feels a bit high. Yeah, I feel like if the runs are going to be scored, you probably just want to take the Rangers team total to go over just because we don't know what we're going to get out of Dean Dean uh, Dean Kramer, right? Like you mentioned, he could have a good start or he could blow up within those first couple of innings. Um, and leash? again, you think that he actually goes more than four if he's guys on base and he's kind of getting in and out of trouble? I mean, I think it'll come to a point where like even the books are like right now, I see his outs record at 10 and a half. What, that's not even what four innings. That's what three and then uh, that, that's three about three and, and two thirds. Third. Yeah, yeah, three and, three and a third, third. Yeah, three and, third, three and two thirds. I mean, that's they're not expecting much, but I, I like the over on that. By the way, and that line's too low. At some point, Baltimore with ever since Batista got injured, I know he's the closer for that team. Mm-hmm. The bullpen's been okay 
I, I don't think it's an amazing unit by any means, but yeah. trying to piece together six innings on the road in Texas with your bullpen, probably not the best idea. So I actually like the over on the Kramer outs. That line just feels too low for a guy who should be pitching, in my opinion, at least four. So I'm on the over for Kramer outs. Uh, does Nathan Avaldi over four and a half strikeouts excite you? Uh, I got to be tempted by it because Ivaldi has been really good in the playoffs. I want to quickly pull up his outs prop because uh, I do like the over for Ivaldi. I think he's going to pitch well in this outing. Uh, let me just see what I got for Ivaldi. Yeah, uh, so Ivaldi outs are fourteen and a half. It's, it's juiced to like minus one sixty. Yeah. I still like the over on that, but I mean, I think I am going to go with the over for strikeouts for Ivaldi. I think I have to like the walks though for Ivaldi. It's at one and a half and minus one hundred five. He's mm. gone over this number in eight of his last 10. He's gone over in four of the last five, 75% of the last 20. So Yuvaldi has been walking a lot of guys. I think 105 is too low. So I am going to go with the over on Yuvaldi walks. But that Kramer outs prop, I keep going back to. I, I just think that line is way too low. Maybe I have faith in Kramer because he was very good to end the regular season. But 135, I see 115 actually. 115 on 10 and a half outs. I mean, that, that line feels really, really low. He yeah. has to get buried in the first three innings for them to not go over. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. Anything else for this game? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else. You want to, you want to back the Aaron Hicks bandwagon? Um, you know, as soon game as we... Two, I, I, it's pretty good in game two at five RBS. <laughs> I think as soon as we do that, he's going to uh, have a, uh, a golden sombrero. He's going to strike out four times at the game. I, think I don't mind the walk, maybe. Maybe an Aaron Hicks walk prop if you think that it's connected to Uvalde because Hicks does take a lot of pitches. Yeah, but yeah, I want to see what it, like what his strikeout prop is. I'm like half joking about the Aaron Hicks thing as a Yankees. No, fan, I think he's going to strike out. It pains me to I'm see a- him uh, perform relatively well. <laughs> but yeah, I think that once again, Hicks looked really good in game two, but I do like Yavaldi walks as my favorite prop for him because that one and a half line, I'm picking him to go about six innings. So that is a pretty decent sample size for him to go over. Don't worry, Scott. Aaron Boone is going to be back next season for you Yankee fans. Don't don't you worry. See, I feel like I don't understand why Yankees fans were shocked by that because it seems like him and Cashman have infinite job security. So I expected Boone to be back. So that didn't shock me. But yeah, Aaron Hicks having five RBIs in a postseason game was not on my bingo card going into the playoffs. <laughs> so. All right, let's get into our, I guess, maybe best bets, maybe like a, a best bet of a side. And then if you want to like throw out a prop as well, I know we talked about some props that we do like here. So uh, or if we could go whatever you want to do, um, it's only two games to pick from. So uh, I'll hand it over to you. All right, uh, so for my best bet, I actually think I am going to go back to the prop here. I'm going to go with Dean Kramer over 10.5 outs at minus 115. That line's crazy to me. I understand it's an elimination game, and Baltimore might be very quick to pull the trigger if he's struggling early. How badly does he have to struggle early to actually not get the 10.5 outs? He's got to give up, like, what, three runs? Or, like, a bunch of guys get on base? I think even a decent start. One earned run, two earned runs. Ten and a half outs is so low for a starting pitcher who was really good for you down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And Baltimore was really good in his starts. He might get some run support. We'll see what happens. But I just want to read off the actual results Baltimore has had in the last month and change. Baltimore has won, uh, what is that, six of his last seven starts. And if you want to go back even further to July, 
Baltimore has won, what is that, 9-1, and 12-1. They've won 13 of his last 15 starts. So yeah. even if Baltimore gets some run support for Kramer, that might earn him an extra leash. But 10.5 outs for a starting pitcher that was going north of five innings basically all the time, I think that line's insane to me. My best bet's going to be Kramer over and out. So like minus one, what was that, 135, minus 115. I think that line's crazy. I'll take the Kramer over and out. All right. Um, any other bets you want to give out? Uh, what else do I want to give out? I think I got to lean to Javier under for earned runs at two and a okay. half. If we're expecting him to go four, I know I'm giving out pitcher props here, but it kind of just seems like Javier figured something out over the last month of the season. And mm-hmm. I understand Javier walks a lot of guys, and that could be a bit of an issue with the home runs as well. But his outs prop suggests he's going about four innings. So two and a half earned in four innings, I'll take my chances. I'll go with the Javier under for earned runs there. Plus, you have an error. There's an error. You're off the hook. Yeah. So I actually like going with the under-earned run props a lot because one bad fielding play, and suddenly you're hoping they give up seven runs because none of them count towards the prop. So that's kind of how it goes. But I like the I like those pitching props. As for the sides, I am in only to Texas at minus 140, and I am also going to uh, go with the – I'm going to go with the Astros at plus money. So that's kind of my main place for the side. I'm going to link to the under in those two games as well. But I do like those pitching props quite a bit. All right. Um, so for the sides, I agree with you about the Astros here tonight. It's such a good or this right? afternoon. Yeah, especially I mean, at plus money, I think you got it. You got to take, especially with all the experience this team has in the postseason. Um, they know how to bounce thing. back after a loss. Not. I was going to say, it's a Yankees fan thing for me because I'm so annoyed by the constant winning that Houston has that I won't believe they're actually <laughs> dead until they're dead. I just assume they're going to find a way in every series they're in. So I'm picking Houston because maybe just conceptually, I don't see them going 2-1 down to Minnesota. But yeah. we've seen cha- championship-level teams, teams with a ton of veteran leadership and a ton of experience, they bring their best game when their back's against the wall. Yeah. I'm expecting Houston to bring it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, we talked about this during the um, – when we did the divisional round preview. I think the downfall for the Astros this postseason and also during the regular season was – is their pitching, right, because they're missing a lot of guys. I mean, Lance McCullers hasn't been able to be healthy over the last, I don't know, how many seasons. They lost Luis Garcia at the beginning of the season as well. Um, JP France was going along well, but again, during the regular season, he fell off towards the end of it. So it's really you relying on Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, and Justin Verlander, really the guys that have really just been there during their World Series runs. Um, but I, I think that Javier can bounce back here. I'll take the, the Astros uh, on the plus price here, plus 114, plus 115. Um... I also do like the under in the game as well, the under eight for the Astros and the Twins. So I'll give those two out. As far as props here, I do like the Nathan Navaldi over on his strikeouts, four and a half at even money. Um, he had a great outing against the, the Rays where he had eight strikeouts in that game. I think him being at home and just, you know, historically in his career being a great postseason pitcher. The numbers back it up. And again, if you want to go back during the regular season, his finals three starts, despite him, you know, not having the greatest starts down the stretch. He, there's three straight games, including the last postseason game against the Rays, where he had five or more strikeouts, two against the Seattle Mariners in the, ra- the game against the Rays, where he had eight. 
Um, so I like Nathan Evaldi's on his strikeouts here as well, over four and a half at even money. Um, and I do think I agree with you that the Rangers do close it out. So um, I guess in order, I go Astros money line under in the Astros and Twins game, and then Nathan Evaldi over four and a half strikeouts um, to 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 get the job done here. And hopefully we can put some money in the pockets of our listeners here, Scott. Um, anything else we want to mention before we get out of here? Uh, not really. Uh, looking forward to, once again, the games tonight as well as the start of the hockey season. You have a hockey team? Uh, the Golden Knights. That's right. You're defending champion. Congrats. Yes. Thank you. Unfortunately, we're not uh, one of the top three favorites uh, this season. But, um, yeah, definitely looking you forward to You weren't last year season. either, so who cares? Yeah. So, But, yeah, at least uh, they finally got the job done. I know they made it all the way to the, the finals uh, in their first year just to fall short to the Capitals. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to the season, man. Definitely. I've been uh, trying to get into more hockey uh, over the past couple of seasons. So, yeah, definitely excited for Hockey season, NBA preseason. I think Rockets played tonight as well. Did you catch any of the? I know we'll talk about uh, the. I get. I'll save it for the NBA pod because you and I are recording Coach of the Year. Did I catch uh, later the Ben on. Simmons masterclass? You better believe I caught the Ben Simmons masterclass. That no, I- and then uh, Chet versus uh, Wimby last night as well. But we'll talk about that on the uh, on the NBA pod. Uh, we'll probably record in that in maybe like a what 30 45 minutes i know uh, we got to get this pod out to the listeners so uh tune in to uh, the nba pod uh, we're wrapping up for the season we're going through all the word markets for sure and then again we'll be back tomorrow for the mlb schedule as well early starts tomorrow as well so hopefully we'll either we'll try to get that one out very very earlier uh, uh as early as possible uh tomorrow because the first game does start at 207 eastern time between the astros and the minnesota twins make sure to follow scott on twitter at rice show radio you can follow me on twitter at sports nerd 824 uh make sure to subscribe to the mlb gambling podcast youtube channel and also smash that like button before you guys get out of here uh that does us a huge favor and also we're on instagram as well so follow us there mlb gambling podcast so uh yeah we'll be back all throughout the week for the playoffs and then lo and behold we'll be down to the final four teams in the championship series to find out who goes to the world series for this season so um yeah tap in with us we'll be back tomorrow for the four games full schedule tomorrow for the mlb all right good luck with your picks let's break these books off and let it ride